Hey now, hi everybody, and welcome to another episode of Better. I am Dr. John Duffy, and with me is the lovely Julie Duffy, <laughs> my usual co-host. Hello. My only co-host. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we've had an interesting week. And, yeah. Weekend. <laughs> I think the week was interesting, too, but I don't really remember. But, yes, we had an interesting weekend. We went down to Kansas City, Missouri, to uh, see our niece, Chloe, do some dancing. Yeah. Um, once again, and I think we've mentioned this on the podcast before, I don't know if there's a better dancer in America than Chloe. She's a stand-up. She's amazing. Yeah. So we got to see... She had a competition this weekend, and she also is on the dance team at her high school, and they had their spring show. So we got to see a little bit of both. Yep. And it was, so that was perf. It was. And she's amazing, man. Anyway, and it's, and here's something. First of all, it's really cool when kids dance. It's really cool. Um, there's a lot of things happening there that are, go beyond dance. But dancers, first of all, are kick ass athletes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and, um, there are very few, this is something I mentioned last year, I think, when we did this. No boys do this, except for one guy at this school, and I think that's crazy. I Actually, think, that was one cheerleader. The cheerleader he was in a the pom, spring. He was a pom-pom guy, wasn't no, he? No, no, oh, no, he's a cheerleader. cheerleader. So, yeah, so, so the, the cheerleaders did a routine in the spring show, and there was one, and there were so many cheerleaders, like, I don't know, 30-something, yeah, something maybe? Like that. And there was one guy, yeah. And and I gotta say, man, I think I, um, I think the days of having that be a gender divided thing should be over. I think guys should be dancing. Oh, guys should so be dancing, and guys are dancing. But I don't know why. You why know, are guys not dancing in this thing? Like you know, like the one guy who danced, I was all that guy was killing it, and he, and he was having a blast. So they have had over the years like one or two guys. Um, in their company, and yes, they were amazing. And I thought, I, I would have thought with the whole, well, definitely like all the boy bands and all that dancing, and then the Dancing with the Stars thing that John and I both want to be on. <laughs> but who's the star? <laughs> um, <laughs> maybe. I never said I wanted to be on Dancing with the Stars on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you just said it in the huh? car this weekend. Well, I think. I think I could win. I think I could at least come in second. I would love to do that. Love it. Um, but I thought that dancing was coming back, which it is, and you'd see more guys in dance uh, classes, and there are, but just not in KC. Anyway, and, and, and uh, we're in Chicago where dancing doesn't seem to be in high schools and in grade schools and stuff as big a deal as it is in Missouri. And dancing for kids, I think, ought to be a big deal everywhere. I think dancing is so cool yeah. because it's art and athleticism and it's, a, it's all sorts of different things. And what it's not is social media and staring at screens and being bored doing homework and sitting watching, you know, some dumb TV show. These kids are moving and sweating and working and they're athletes and artists. It's awesome. And I was thinking about, you know. It's the antidote. Yeah, I was thinking about how oh, they work so hard. The um, how good it must be for your brain to 
have that musicality and, you know, to be like listening to music and moving to music with the music, how that must be just amazing for your brain. Brain and body, the whole deal. Oh, yeah, for sure, your body. Yeah, man. Yeah. Anyway. So that was so a big, we did big that. happy. And, um, and, and that was on Friday. Then we got a wild hair on Saturday. Um, so we decided we were going to stay, but we looked at the weather, and honestly, Sunday, so we had to drive eight hours back, and it looked, it was going to be snowing almost, like starting St. Louis, all the way back to Chicago, and that, we did that recently, it was super treacherous, so we decided we were going to leave on Saturday afternoon. Yes, and um, and the reason, so we were going to head home, maybe, but then we remembered that um, something special was going on in South Bend, Indiana. Uh, about two months ago, I'd never heard of this dude before, about two months ago, and a friend of a friend of mine, a friend of mine, Max Potter, who writes for Esquire magazine with my buddy Mike Haney, um, Max turned me on to the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, uh, Pete Buttigieg, um, Boot Edge Edge. Boot Edge, yeah. Yep. Boot Edge and, Edge. and by now you probably know who the guy is, but I bet a week ago a lot of people listening did not who Pete, know who Mayor Pete was. And so we went to South Bend to see the, uh, the kick-ass Harvard-trained, Oxford-trained, uh, Road Scholar, scholar concert, concert pianist. pianist, Afghan veteran, married gay... Mayor of South Bend, Indiana. Who speaks six languages. Uh, and Norwegian because he wanted to read one book. Yeah. This guy's just a stud, and he's awesome, and he's chill, and he's humble, and he's the whole deal. And I don't care where you stand politically. You got to dig this guy. You got to dig this is, guy. He is a feel good no matter what, man. And it is hard not to be a fan. So we went and saw Pete announce that he is running for president. It was such a feel good. It it was um, we it crossed our mind, and we were both hard yeses. So it added probably an hour to our trip. Um, we actually started looking for rooms in South Bend. South Bend was sold out because there was like because Notre Dame, <laughs> Notre Dame. Because there was a blue and gold game. <laughs> there was a um, lacrosse tournament. Tim McGraw was in town. Mayor Pete was announcing, so there was not a hotel room to be found, but I have some magical qualities sometimes, and one of them is finding hotel rooms and tickets and things where they don't exist, and I found a hotel room. So we beelined it there, full of joy. We listened, we watched his, well, I watched, you were driving, and you listened um, to all of his interviews. He's been on Fox, he's been on Meet the Press, he's been on Ellen, he's been on Colbert, he's been everywhere, and he... Um, Every issue he deals with and speaks to in the most in the most beautiful way, in the freshest way. You don't hear any political speak in him. He he feels like hope and connection to John and I, and we were could not wait to get there. And it felt so good, right, honey, to be doing something kind of spur of the moment and kind of cray. It did, it, it, and um, it was just a feel good, and we wanted to be around people who were excited about some, it's cool to be excited about something political for once, instead of like, oh God, what's going on now, you know? And this felt, I don't know if this guy's heading anywhere, um, but I think he is, um, but just the fact that his ideas are 
are sound ones and they're not they don't come from ego and they don't come from politicking he didn't expect to be in this place and he's really clear about that um and and i'll tell you just to be really honest one of the coolest things about this whole situation is that one of the last things you think about when you think about this guy is that he's gay and he's the first gay uh, legit gay president presidential candidate ever and yet you you can spend a lot of time talking about this dude and that doesn't come up which i think is a good thing for america i think that's cool that you know, it's not a big deal. That, it's, that, it's, that he's not some novelty, you know nope. what I mean? Because he's like, you know, the first homosexual presidential candidate, you know? No, he's Pete, man. He's Mayor Pete, and he's awesome, and he's got his sleeves rolled up like Bobby Kennedy's. He's ready to go, man. And he's married. And I, how do you say his husband's name? Uh, Chastin Buttigieg. Chastin, so, and he's so darling and fun on Insta this and is, no, joy, Twitter. Joy, joy tip of the week. Joy tip of the week. Follow Chastin Buttigieg, Pete Buttigieg, and their dogs, the names of whom I don't remember, but you can find oh, yeah, them either. on Twitter. And um, and regardless of where you stand politically, this will make you happy. I promise you. And th- and this guy doesn't feel um, he he's a progressive, and he is a Democrat, but he doesn't read political in a way. He reads American in, in, in the most beautiful way, kind of across the board. He reads, he is a Rust Belt mayor, and that's what he says he Honestly, is. Honestly, it felt, it felt so, there, we're tired of, of everything about politics on both sides, and, and this guy feels like a beacon. And Boot, edge, edge. The Boot cool edge, thing edge. was, Boot, edge, edge. you guys, that the guy in front of us was from San Francisco, and he flew in spur of the moment. Um, the guy next to us w- was from Pennsylvania. His son was from D.C. Um, everyone came in from all over the country, like kind of like freaking spur of the moment. I got to be there. I want to stand. We were it was freezing. It was pouring rain. It was miserable. People out. were ill prepared. They were soaked. Um, and then when we, when we got in, it was supposed to be outside. They moved it inside, but we were in this warehouse that really wasn't heated. So it the absolutely soaked, wasn't it heated. Ab- I mean, it was an it, it, abandoned yeah. Studebaker. It was freaking open air and raining inside. Raining inside, people were joyful. And, people were joyful. And and what we didn't realize, we realized not everyone was going to get in, but we didn't w- realize they. St- Stayed. They stayed outside in the rain, and they watched it on a jumbotron because we could see on Twitter. It took Pete a long time to get up there um, inside, and we we saw on Twitter that he had just finished speaking to all the people outside. So it was just oh, it was such a feel good, right? Yeah, it was such a feel good. I and mean, it we was... were wicked cold afterwards because <laughs> we were there for. We got there at ten forty-five, and we le- we left at like four. My rear <laughs> was shivering involuntarily until we were well into Illinois. We have heated seats in the edge, thank God. Yeah, well, it didn't do much for my, my the boot edge. edge. <gasps> we'll call our car the boot edge. edge. 
<laughs> we drive a Ford Edge. Anyway, we're to, geeked and joyful. We're psyched up about this guy. And, and we're curious to see how this all goes. We think this is all going to be great. It's going to be fabulous. It's going to be the greatest presidential campaign of all and time. And it felt like, did I already <laughs> say this? It felt like when we went to the rally to restore sanity in D.C., we took George. It was 2000. Hold on. Let's go back. Go so, back. Go back. Um, this is November 2, 2010. This is a long time ago, um, uh, eight and a half years ago. Um, John Stewart and Stephen Colbert were, John was hosting The Daily Show, Stephen was hosting a Colbert Rapport, and, um, and they were tired of politics. This is, by the way, pre-Trump. This, yeah. is, this is pre-all this stuff. I mean, this is the middle of the Obama years, and still, these guys are tired of politicking and all the BS in Washington. So they have and the divisiveness and the 24-hour news cycle and the right the Fox News you know like the liberal media versus the conservative media it was just like it was relentless and um, brutal. So the rally to restore sanity was 250,000 people on the Mall in D.C. Julian George and I were among them, and um, and effectively it was just to celebrate. Being there, being free, being Americans, and having a little bit of a sense of humor about the whole thing. And so people had signs that were absolutely absurd. <laughs> My favorite was a quote from Lost. For yeah. those of you who are Lost fans, somebody held up a giant, giant sign that said, Not Penny's Boat. So about 15 listeners are laughing right now, and everyone else is like, Somebody Google that. I don't know what that is. Yeah, yeah. But it's worth it's worth Googling. Does this sign make my ass look big or something? It was so it was just it was if you're tired of the hatred and the vitriol, let's gather and let's laugh. And people came in whores just to stand together and know that we are all connected. And there was every Every political party, every race, every you know sexual orientation, all just gathered together for an afternoon. Oh, it was a it beautiful was, freak show. It was excellent. Oh, it was we heaven. all had so much it fun. Was heaven, yeah, it was yeah, yeah. Heaven. Um, so it felt, it felt like that. Yep. All right. So that's that's our weekend. Yeah. So I mean, judge. So um, today we thought we might talk about. What our kids see when they look into their future toward adulthood, and whether that is a keen and happy vision, whether that is a dark and uh, vapid vision, whether there's no vision there at all, or what. Um, so, you want me to speak to this for a sec? Sure. All right. So, um, in my experience, in the past few years, um, I've not worked with many young people many kids, many teenagers, who are excited about becoming adults. Um, in my book, Parenting the New Teenager in the Age of Anxiety, coming out in August of Parenting 2019. Parenting the New Teen. Parenting the New Teen <laughs> in the Age of Anxiety, coming out in August 2019, Mango Press. Um, in my book, I talk a little bit about how kids now have a worldview from a pretty young age. And sometimes that worldview can look pretty grim. They're aware of way more because they have, because we have Google, because we have the internet, 
um, because we have social media, they're aware of a lot. They're really intelligent. They gain a sense of empathy at an early age, um, and they want to make a difference in the world. What they don't necessarily see from the teenage years is how that's going to happen. So they have trouble connecting the dots. And for a lot of kids, as young as 14, 15, 16 years old, a sense of hopelessness sets in um, because they're not sure they're going to be able to make a mark in the world that matters. And that matters to them. Making a mark matters to them. More than making money matters to most of them, what they, what they see is mm, things aren't going very well in our world. And we want to make some kind of a difference. And I don't know if me, one person, can do that. I don't know if I have the strength to do that. I don't know if I have the intelligence to do that. I don't know if I have the charisma to do that. Wow. Okay, that's super interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, um, you know, we've we've mentioned this and re-mentioned this, but uh, in our podcast with Georgia a couple weeks ago, she said, you know, she was having a hard time engaging in the college process because it felt like it was just fast forward, fast forwarding her into adulthood, and adulthood was a cloud which happened to be gray. Right. <laughs> and that's what that's what brought this up um, for me and made me curious what does being an adult look like to these kids um, I bet in a lot of cases maybe not that great well a lot of kids will tell me um, I don't want my mom's life or I don't want my dad's life or I don't want that job I don't want I don't want to do what they're doing you know what I mean I don't want to come home feeling like they come home right yeah there's an awful lot of that so, um, and I, I know there's a lot of people that are, you know, everybody seems like there's a lot of depression. There's a lot of anxiety. Yeah, I wonder what it does look like to them. I know kids get on a track. Well, people wonder why kids put the skids on certain things. So, um, like like Georgia was talking about, kids put the brakes on about junior year. I don't want to talk about college. Some kids don't want to drive now, which never happened before. Um Kids don't want to get jobs, and it, oftentimes. And a lot of people misread that as, well, look at this lazy, entitled generation, right? You know, like, you know, what's wrong with these kids? All they care about is their Instagram followers. But that's not what's going on. Yeah. When you talk to kids, what you see, what you find is they're aware of the responsibility that comes with each step. And it's foreboding. It's big. It feels bigger to them than it ever felt to us, yeah. you know, because they're paying attention. The truth is we think they're not paying attention a lot of the time when, in fact, they're way they're paying way more attention than we do. They're way more informed about all of these things than than we were. You know what I mean? Like the kids I work with who are reluctant to drive, take on that adult responsibility. It's this fear of like, that's a giant machine. I see that more kids my age have fatal auto accidents than anybody else. So I'm not doing it. I'll Uber yeah, <laughs> or I'll yeah. have somebody else drive me. Um, and the reluctance to get a job, just like college, is that feels like this fast forward into adult life, into something that feels unhappy to them, vaguely unhappy, you know? And a lot of kids feel enough anxiety and unhappiness just being in high school or middle school, and they don't want to compound that, you know, with 
with something that's even grimmer because they they feel like I'm carrying a pretty big emotional <sighs> load now. I don't know if I really want to add to that. You know what I mean? Like, so if I can avoid it, I'm going to. And so what looks like laziness and opting out, once again, is actually um, probably some degree of intelligence in recognizing, yeah, that's the dark side, man. I don't want that. This is um, really uh, um, stunning. And um, yeah, what are we going to do? <laughs> I mean, so so I was just actually talking to a friend of mine today about it, and um, he brought up. So we were talking about how some kids are hesitant to engage and grow up, and they don't want to, you know, the, the whole college thing. They they don't engage in that process or the next steps process, whatever that looks like. And you know, we were talking about our own kids and how like how great home is and childhood has been and we're connected to them we have great relationships there's you know he said I couldn't wait to get out of my house I wanted to do it my own way and I wanted I knew I could do it better like he couldn't wait to get the hell out of there and move to Chicago and make his own way um and uh I don't I don't remember how I felt. It was just kind of what you do next. And I looked favorably on adulthood. I remember picturing working in the city and, you know, I kind of liked that. That seemed kind of glamorous to me, but I don't know how well, um, fleshed out, how fleshed out it was. Um, uh, but just one facet might be how, close families are, how close, you know, some kids are with their parents, how great life is at home. <laughs> um, some moms cut up fruit in the morning. I <laughs> Even when the child smoothies. is 23. <laughs> but um, anyway, so there's that. There's that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, not, not, and, and not the whole, uh, and maybe it's part of it, but it's not that whole, like, everyone gets a trophy, so everyone's a namby-pamby and has no drive and has no interest. No, that, that narrative, you guys, trust me, that is not useful and it's not true. Pitch that narrative. That's not what's happening. Um, so um, when I was a kid, um, I envisioned the next step on the staircase. That's all, that's all I really had vision for was, like, you know, Okay, going to college. Hey, hey. Okay, interviewing for a job. Hey, hey. And then, you know, I get the job and I'm like, what the hell is this? <laughs> you know what? This is what being an adult yeah. is like. Um, I can't stand up. But, but, but it was helpful to me not to take in the long view, not to look 20 years ahead or 10. Um, it was helpful to me to have it broken down. And it was just organic. That I think most of us had it broken down. I kind of um, went through the whole process with Mike, my buddy Mike, and we kind of took it step by step. And we were excited about the college we went to. And then, you know, we were excited to be guys who were working, you know. like And, and so that um, having it broken down for us kind of organically, not having that long view, was actually kind of helpful because it's not overwhelming, because it doesn't feel like this is my whole life I have to pick right now. I have right. to decide something right now. Kids feel this pressure. Um, it's why I constantly am telling kids, hey, you, you're going to have five careers, man, You know, and one of them we might not even know about. I, I hang on that because I want kids to know 
you're just t all you need to new see is the next step on the stairwell. Well, and I loved I'm I loved that you brought that up with Georgia. I didn't know how if that would sound good to kids or scary to kids or just kind of messy to kids. Um, but she loved that. She loved that the job that she uh, might do might not exist yet because she didn't like what she was seeing as job options for the major she was considering. So um, that is, you know, I guess that that's a good thing. I guess because everything's new um, or can be new and not old, <laughs> that's a good thing. Well, and, and, and just, just to give you guys some perspective. All right, so I'm working with, I just thought about this, four Four young people who are 22 or 23. I'm going to try to be vague. I don't want anybody to overly identify themselves here. Um, college graduates, unemployed, living at home. Um, employable. Graduated from good colleges, all four. Um, but anxious about the next step. Worried about the next step. And fearful. And, and somebody who's 27 doing the same thing. Um, and I think part of it is, I know that part of it is that the next step feels too big, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So to the extent that we can break that down for them. Um, on the old podcast, I interviewed Gina Murata, who's a, um, a coach for careers, effectively. And, um, and she said, she, she gives, gives permission for something that she did and that I did, um, I realized, as she was talking, uh, gives, gave herself permission as she left her law career to find something that suited her better, to have a bridge job. So something that she did, mm -hmm. that she decided, I'm going to do this for a year while I figure it out, you know? And I actually kind of did the same thing. Right. I picked a bridge job, right? I, I was actually an accounting headhunter for about a year while I was trying to figure out what was next. And then the next thing came grad that was pretty much a grad yeah. school, and that came pretty organically. And for Gina, it was becoming a career coach, and that, that happened pretty organically for her. Um, so what I'm working with these people on is, hey, let's find your bridge job. Let's find your thing right now, not your thing forever. And that, and now we get, then we got a little breathing room. Then yeah. we can think about what you want to do. You know what I mean? Where you can really stop to consider it because – we think like because we chose a major a few years ago when we were 19 that we're married to that somehow. But, you know, I am proof that that is a preposterous notion. And this generation is going to be, become proof that that's a, a, an insane notion that, that, you know, because I majored in finance, I'll be a financier when I'm 60. Right. That's just, that's just not going to happen like that anymore. Right. And so if kids find there's liberty in knowing, oh, yeah. My path is malleable. My, uh, there's more movement than I think. And kids need to know that there's movement and they're going to have choices throughout their lives. You know what I mean? Um, and they might not always be easy, but they'll be doable. They'll be plausible. So the key isn't, as a parent, the key isn't to help your kid figure out what it is they want to do. The key is to teach your kid that they are competent and resilient to do whatever it is. And then they get to decide as in due time, when the timing comes right and when the timing comes around for them, they'll decide what they want to do. And that timing might be when they're 16, but more likely it'll be when they're 26 or 36. Well, and kind of to your point, if you're um, – uh, 
if you're confused, like if you're lost and stuck, that can be super depressing. Um, uh, I, I don't know if I want to do this or I don't want to know if I want to do that. And I, <laughs> I experience it sometimes because there's a lot of things I do and like to do. And then sometimes I just get, I get stuck and that doesn't feel good. So action, to your point, action is yeah. better. Even if it's the wrong way, it's better to do something to move and try, you know. Um, so, right, if it's that interim job or you just trying something, you know, failing at something or, or you know, having it not be the right thing is better than just getting stuck. But, it, but a lot of us get stuck. It may not fe seem like it feels good to be in the rushing river as opposed to the stagnant pond, <laughs> but it always feels better to be in the rushing river. You want movement. You want to be moving. And I, I agree. I want to. I want to. I don't like the image of the rushing river because that seems like it's taking you. Maybe the bus that you're driving. <laughs> it's better <laughs> than to be like swept away. You don't want to be swept away. You want to be driving. Okay. Um, <laughs> On Instagram, we're going to have pick your metaphor, river or bus. River, yeah, okay, bus, nah. Not, <laughs> okay, not bus, but... Um, no, you said bus. That's your thing. Driving, it's okay. driving it yourself. I don't want to be like swept away. Swept away by a rushing river. <laughs> okay. Well, there you have it. See what Julie feels about that. Anyway, movement over stagnation. That, that's my point. It's, it always feels better to be moving. Yeah. I want to go back to what you were saying about um, that the kids feel pressure to really make a difference in the world, and they don't know how to do that. So, yeah. And that's what makes them feel hopeless. That's. Yeah. Can you talk about that a little yeah, bit more? Yeah, this, so this is, this is an absolute truth. I mean, you know, um, I was surprised that this showed up about four or five years ago, this idea um, that, that kids became world-weary at really young ages. They recognize, like, because they see, because they're on Reddit or, or, or they're listening to podcasts about, you know, kids are listening to podcasts about um, the news of the day. You know what I mean? Like, like the New York Times newscast. Uh, podcast. I, I work with kids who listen to that in the morning, like the top five, you know, the top five news stories. And so there's an awful lot of kids who we think are checked out and don't know what's going on. Most kids have a pretty good feel about what's going on in, in a lot of corners of the world because they have access to it, because they got a screen in front of them all the time, right? And so they're not just playing games or screwing around. They're learning stuff a lot of the time. You know, like I, I had a kid challenge me and say, hey, man, we read way more than you guys ever read. And we're reading stuff that's happening right now. I know what's going on today. I know what's going on in real time that you wouldn't have known until tomorrow morning. Right, maybe. right. And so, um, and and so yeah, and not, so if the and, onslaught. And, and typically what they hear about isn't good. Right. You know, so if, you're, if, if they're reading news on either Reddit or the New York Times or listening to a podcast, they're not hearing what's going well, by and large, unless some kids are listening to sports things or entertainment things or something. But most are hearing bad news. Most know the bad news. They, if you ask somebody what was going on today, they would know that Notre Dame burned. You know what I mean? Right. The, the cathedral. Um, but, you know, if, a, if somebody if somebody was saved somewhere, they're not hearing about that. You know what I mean? Somebody was yes. pulled off the train tracks. So um, 
So they have this jaded view of the world, and they do feel this um, uh, burden to make some difference, right? And they're smart enough to recognize, I don't know how one person can do that. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it doesn't look like one vote makes a big difference. You know what I mean? I, I hear that from kids. And, you know, like, what, what am I going to do? Go into medicine and be a doctor? I don't know. Does that change, you know, the fact that there are people starving across the world? Right. Is that, so, that, you know, they, they get this global look at everything. And they're wondering, like, on a local basis, how do I, how do I make any impact on anything? You know what I mean? So they want their lives, kids want their lives to be meaningful. They want to do something that's, that's meaningful and that's useful and that moves humanity along somehow. They care about that. I mean, in, in a way, I'm blown away because I'll tell you this. I didn't care about that. You know, when I was a teenager, right. I, I cared about, you know, the things that you expect teenagers to care about, you know, like girls, Right. Well, maybe just the knowing, the knowing of all the suffering and, you know, what it looks like combined with, um, I don't know, you know, all the people making money on Instagram just by, you know, posting pictures. I don't know. Maybe it's just confusing. <laughs> oh, the world and, is completely and, confusing. And, and, and it's hard They're to make overwhelmed sense of, with information. of what, you know, how to be purposeful and um, and I don't know how to be happy. And that's really... Kind of, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to be able to figure that out. I want to figure out though how they can be excited and hopeful. Yeah, and we and how we all can. I mean, I I can understand how if, when how some kids look at their parents' lives and they're just like, eh, you know, that's not it's not super dreamy. Like that doesn't really light me up. That doesn't drive my bus. Right. <laughs> that doesn't rush my river. <laughs> um, so I don't know, you know, I, yeah, I don't know what, I don't know what life looks like. Well, I, I think our responsibility is shifting and I don't know if it's really clear what it's shifting to, but, um, part of it is listening better, um, and breaking things down a little bit, you know what I mean? And, um, and you, you are not thrilled with the idea of modeling a happy life, but I'm all about that. Oh, no, 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 no. That is not what modeling I... Modeling a happy, fulfilling, no, joy-filled I'm, life. We should, I hope that we can all live happy lives for ourselves, <laughs> for the sake of doing it, not just for the sake of showing it. You right, know? right, Like, yeah, we should just... Good. I know a lot of people are depressed. A lot of people are, you know, not... are dissatisfied. They're flatlining. They're checked out. They're, right. wa- they're sleepwalking through life. And if that's what our kids are seeing... Then how you know I don't know how can they be excited? I, I think if I have any advice for any adult who who knows any kid, um, what we are not very adept at doing is hearing them out. We make assumptions way too often about this generation of kids, what they're about, what they know, what they understand, and the one thing um, that I can say with authority knowing an uncanny number of kids for a guy my age is uh, they're more interesting and deeper than we think. So if we hear them out, they will stun us with the things they have to say and, um, and, and they'll be, feel heard. That's one thing I realize the kids need more than anything else 
is if they're anxious about their future, they need to say those words. They need to be able to say, I don't get it. I'm scared. I don't know what this looks like. And I just thought of this. You know, what brings us life is is our creativity. Our creative side falls to the wayside first. Early in life, we drop our creativity. We decide that we aren't artists or musicians, and we, we stop. Dancers. Dancers. We stop doing those things, and I think that is a huge mistake. Um, and also it reminds me, you know, sometimes as we're trying to track our kids, you know, into their curriculum that gets them into these schools, the thing that they're doing that's extracurricular, that's creative, encourage them to keep doing that because that's life-giving. So I, I just thought of that. That I think that's what a lot of us are missing, you know, our creativity. We as humans, we need those things and we cut them out early. We decide that we don't have affinity for a lot of those things early. And then as adults, it's the last thing we do. Like you and I both, I mean, I'm painting now and I do that with a lot of my time. You're, you're an amazing songwriter. You're an amazing guitar player. You know, we're both pretty good singers. Like we don't, we don't do that stuff. And that, um, that's life giving. It's true. So, um, a couple of the lodestars that we're missing, right? It, it, um, guideposts, creativity, that's certainly one of them. And, and we, we shouldn't minimize that because um, if, it, if we find our creativity, we find um, some essence of ourselves, some, some important meaning. Um, one other thought I feel compelled to throw out before we finish is um, as kids are trying to seek answers for themselves, looking down the, the line of the course of their lives, oftentimes they'll say, I want to do what you're doing to me. Um, meaning, like, you're, you're, you're sitting here and you're helping me. I want to do that. I want to do, you know, so that, there's an awful lot of kids I sit that across makes, from. Yeah, that makes you know, a lot of sense. Who, who want to be of service of some kind. And that's another thing that I think we don't encourage enough of. You know what I mean? Like, we talk a good game and we, you know, we do, uh, we'll set up a service trip to Appalachia or something like that. But in terms of encouraging like life in service of some kind, I don't think we do a great job of encouraging that. And yet that's where you can see these kids light up with yeah. the idea of a, a, of a fulfilling life where you're helping people, you know what I mean? And, uh, and I'm heartened by the fact that people, that so many kids, you know, there's a lot of therapists going to come out of LaGrange, Illinois, man. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. Um, because they can see, right, they can see the good you're doing. They can feel the good you're doing. And they're like, you like this. You like this. And I know how much you make. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, so those are some thoughts, right? You know, and I'd be curious to know what anybody else thinks. You know, like, so if you have some thoughts about, how to encourage our discouraged kids um, into looking forward to becoming adults as opposed to dreading it. And I want to hear from people. I want to I hear other ideas, too. We'll make another podcast about this. This is worth talking about. Oh, yeah. And I didn't mean it to interrupt. But also, how are we, you know, you and I are are talking about kind of, you know, trying to shake things up and do some fun new things and, and, and think about life in just a completely different way and just, you know, 
not take nothing off the table. We're thinking about selling the house. We're thinking about going on the road with the Who. Yeah. We're thinking all those about things. we're thinking about no, following we, Buddha Judge around. We're, no, no we're, <laughs> but seriously. So like, how are we? Not just for no, we're ser- uh, seriously. Not we just are talking for about that. modeling, but how happy are we all in our lives, and uh, and what are we? You know, what are we doing to be creative and fun and live life with vigor and not be flatliners? Yep. And if we do that, I think our kids are way more likely to do that. Yeah. Um, I think that's it, man. That's it for now anyway. Yeah, it's just the beginning of a discussion, but um, everyone think about that. <laughs> How do people find us? Like, you know, if they want, let's say somebody wanted to write us and had Oh, had yeah, an please write us and tell us if you want us to talk about something. Tell us if you like the podcast. Um, and uh, subscribe. Oh, subscribe. It's only nine ninety nine a month. <laughs> it's not for, any... It's, to, to start. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, it's nothing. It's, it's, it's uh, just subscribe on iTunes. Right, subscribe. Um, and drjohnduffy.com. We need... We keep saying this. We need our own um, better Instagram page, but... Um, you can write us at John G. Duffy at drjohnduffy.com. Or follow Dr. John Duffy on Facebook and uh, Instagram. Or Instagram. Oh, right. Whatever. Facebook. And, uh, Facebook. And you, and, you can, and you can write, yeah, we'll write get, us there. We'll get our own thing set up. But, uh, oh, and I got a book coming out in August. Parenting I gotta the start, New Teen. I got I to start preaching it's, it's amazing. Everyone's going to want to read it. Yeah. I mean, it's relevant to this very topic. I think. It is. This is better. (laughs) We will talk to you guys next time. All right. Love you, honey. Love you, honey.